the reality is all of those massive inventions that you think about, the light bulb, you know, indoor plumbing, you know, all these different things are the product of incremental continuous improvement. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. So welcome to the next episode of Learning and Box, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. We are ex- excited, as always, um, about our next episode um, because we have a very special guest with us today uh, coming all the way to us from North Carolina, um, somebody that I have had the the pleasure pleasure and the privilege to have known for um, a number of years, um, heavily in, in the work around transformative education. And so joining us today is Carl Rectanus. Um, and Carl is an educator, an entrepreneur, an advisor, and co-founder and CEO of something called the Learn Platform, which we will talk about um, as we go through. And he spends a lot of time thinking and planning and working with teams of educators, researchers, technologists, committed to delivering dynamic solutions around transformative education and a lot of work in STEM. The other thing that I love about Carl is he brings to every conversation, every project, um, entire ethos of knowledge and experience. And whether that is, you know, his his life and his family, his work, um, and his courageous willingness to try and to fail um, and do it all with grace and picking back up and running again. So Carl, how was that? Welcome to Learning Unboxed. That is, that is fantastically kind. Thank you very much, <laughs> Annalise. I'm excited to join today. Uh, big fan of the work that you've been doing for a number of years and a lot of the folks you've had on the show. Honored to be here. Yeah, well, it's certainly um, our, our, our pleasure and our privilege. So we're going to just roll up our sleeves and dig right in. As you know, um, many of our listeners um, who join us on this program are anxious, hopeful, excited, terrified of a lot of the aspects of what it's going to take to turn around our education system. And whether you're an advocate that the system is broken, that the system just needs tweaking, that the system needs to be fully imploded, that the system's just fine. The reality is that we've got a lot of obligations around what we do for uh, for kids and for the yep. future of workforce. So, Carl, when we first met, you were heavily involved in the work of starting STEM transformation in particular in North Carolina. So why don't we start with just a bit of an overview of how you got involved because your background wasn't specifically in education. So how did you get in that mess? Yeah, so that's right. We, uh, well, I should say I have been around education for a while. Uh, My family, mostly educators, I was a teacher and administrator here uh, and overseas but had uh, joined and, and been supporting work in the private sector and from foundations. Mm-hmm. But this was, uh, gosh, uh, over a decade ago uh, in North Carolina uh, when STEM was you know, part of a tree or mm-hmm. stem cells. <laughs> 
you know, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, science, technology, engineering, and math, right. uh, or even uh, strategies that engage the mind, as, uh, as our chairman liked to uh, quip. It was, uh, the idea was quite nascent, but there was a recognition that, you know, these are key skills that students uh, and uh, educators in the workforce wanted to highlight not at the expense of other things, but as a way of infusing the type of design thinking and systems thinking that is basically required of all adults now. Right. In a way that it never has been before. Our systems have gotten so complex that you have to be knowledgeable and understand how systems work just to be a high-functioning adult uh, today. Uh, And so I came to this work um, as the type of hopeless optimist uh, (laughs) talk about as your uh, your listeners that there is a better way or there are ways to engage systems that have traditionally been silos to help uh, facilitate. It it was going to take a village. Right. And you know, there had to be systemic ways to help what what are different, you know, institutions, silos, and parts of the system to improve not only themselves, but to do so with each other in a meaningful way. So the work in North Carolina was really around how do we how do we leverage uh, great uh, experience in the education sector? How do we uh, work with and and support and engage the private sector in a meaningful way? And in which situations can we either get rid of or provide policies that can celebrate uh, the type of, you know, engagement across sectors that we all knew we wanted? And then that's a really hard piece of the work. I mean, um, lots of folks will talk about how hard it is to make the change in the implementation at the classroom level, um, at the actual school, in the district. But the reality of it is, having done this many times, certainly for myself, a bit of a serial, I don't know that entrepreneur is the right word in this case, maybe just glutton for punishment. Um, but the <laughs> reality, I, <laughs> I think so. But the reality of it is the really, really big piece of the work and the biggest lift is the bringing together of those stakeholders in a meaningful, tangible way, breaking down those silos. That's the hardest part. Once once the, the, the players, the stakeholders, the team agrees, the implementation, don't get me wrong, not easy, not by any stretch no, of the imagination. Yes, it, is, it is incredibly hard work. But we can work really, really hard day in, day out in that classroom or even with that individual student. And if the ecosystem around us isn't supportive of that work, it's almost impossible to be sustainable or successful. So just could you could you touch just a little bit about the forming of the ecosystem, you know, as you talked about mm-hmm. that piece of the work? Because the forming of that ecosystem actually leads you to the work that you're doing right now. Yeah, absolutely. The so it's funny you mentioned you know how how critical and difficult the act the implementation mm-hmm. right the instructional practices that is where the rubber hits the road. Yeah, but if the rest of the car and the entire transport 
sanitation system are set up to be inefficient or to make it impossible for the rubber to hit the road, it's not going to work. And so that's, I think, where uh, these well-meaning systems like the private sector's corporate social responsibility efforts, where uh, educational practice and the institutions of school districts to figure out how to personalize learning at scale for all students. Um, Those are the things that were uh, that everybody wanted, but the systems themselves were at the time uh, not incentivized to support the, the connectivity of that effort, mm-hmm. right? So uh, what do I mean by that? I mean, so for the private sector, you, you know, very supportive of uh, at things that they can look at and show and specific programmatic implementation, after-school programs, right. reading programs. Right. You know, STEM robotics, absolutely great programs. But if we're thinking about systemic change towards design thinking, that's not going to move the needle, you know, for all the kids. Right. It's going to highlight a few things. But the foundations and corporate social responsibility weren't necessarily incentivized to think that way. Similarly, education and districts or, you know, local leadership uh, was not necessarily incentivized to think about. Uh, for example, what, you know, what's already been created right. as entrepreneurs, right. we tend to, you know, and, as, and I, I refer to teachers as, as, uh, the, the first entrepreneurs, right. Because they are solving problems every day mm-hmm. for disparate needs with minimal resources to help students achieve, you know, a goal. And that, that is ultimately what entrepreneurs are trying to do is solve problems for a specific targeted audience you know, and with with minimal and growing resources. And so one of the things that we looked at, uh, which I know, you know, you you in Ohio, uh, folks who have been on your show, like Rich Rosen, Mm -hmm. uh, Marcy Raymond and others have done great, uh, really the nascent work around the Ohio STEM Learning Network. And, you know, we looked at Texas and some of the work that was going on there. Um, and what we realized is North Carolina, of course, is a slightly different system. Right. And uh, we have been blessed for decades with uh, a strong policy ethos around education, mm-hmm. a strong corporate social responsibility engagement around engineering and STEM, and, uh, and, and strong you know, uh, school systems uh, across the state. But those things were uh, disconnected. Right. And so a lot of activity was happening, but it was not connected to each other. Mm-hmm. And so there was a ton of, you know, either uh, rebuilding the same wheel in different communities. Right. Uh, or, uh, or at the very least, those being inefficient. So right. when we started, we approached the work by saying, look, the first thing we did in the first 90 days, we talked to 600 different leaders. And we basically asked them two questions. What, what is your X? What, mm-hmm. is, what are you really good at when it comes to STEM education? Tell us what right. that you feel like you bring to the table in a meaningful way. And two, if you could connect with Y, what would Y be? Right. right? What, what, what do you need that could be helpful to you? Right. And by mapping in a meaningful way mm-hmm. across these communities, rural districts, suburban districts, across the state, these 600 
you know, education, business, policy, nonprofit, foundation leaders, we were able to very quickly understand that it actually turned out that there was some overlap in the X's, right? There were some overlaps and some, but more importantly, there was a lot of X that was everybody else's Y. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And so, and that, and that was in some ways just Mm -hmm. taking a little bit of time to say, you know, if you were looking for why and I could help you connect to why, you know, would you be interested in playing along? Would you be our um, ex, right? Yeah. 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 Can I tell people yeah. that you're really good at X? Right. And in most cases, right? Yeah. Um, who would, you know, most folks are not looking to keep that a secret. Right. No. Um, and so by mapping that, we realized uh, that there were, you know, there were resources. Right. We could take what has traditionally been called sort of a theory of abundance, that, that, that it's out there, right. you just need to connect it. Start to use engineering and design processes to say, okay, how would we help this system become more efficient? Mm-hmm. And, and I uh, think that, um, sorry to interrupt, but I think that, that, you know, as folks are listening, that, that 600 folks in 90 days is key. Right. Mm-hmm. And we've seen this over and over again. And that's not possible for everybody to do that. But but we spend at past we talk about and we do in every local community, we ask folks to start with some asset mapping for that very reason that what you did at the state level is completely tangible and doable at the local level, starting, quite frankly, right inside your own school building. Yes. Right. And that that sets you up coming back to the notion of what is it we are collecting and connecting, you know, channeling a little um, Seth Gobin there um, and his Akimbo um, podcast. He actually has an entire piece about what is school and what's it supposed to do. And there's a conversation that he sort of runs with that's all about the fact that um, traditional education has spent a lot of time collecting dots, right? The, The thing that we're going to measure just for the sake of gathering it just for the sake of doing it, with no tangible yeah. meaning, right? And instead of yeah. connecting um, dots. And that that same exact premise translates into exactly what you're talking about. And I just want our listeners to understand that 600 and statewide is not the lift you have to make. But there's, there's, there's a local lift that you can easily make that's as equally important. I would, I would love to speak to that because we recognize... Uh, we the next thing we learned and realized because we also sort of mapped mm-hmm. where those folks were and what you know what their backgrounds were and and a, and a few other details. We also acknowledged and found uh, that the traditional infrastructure, right, the people we were talking to, mm-hmm. were not necessarily the ones who would be around a decade from now when we exactly. wanted the change to happen. Right. Right. And, and so we actually engaged, then we engaged in this local mapping. This local mapping mm-hmm. is really interesting. Yeah. And we did a set of, uh, we provided a set of really basic questions, right, right? Right. Who in your community do you trust? Right. Right. Who, who do you admire? Who do you admire that you've never worked with? Right. That's a great one. That's and, a fabulous uh, question. That, yeah. That, that you would, who, who is somebody who gets stuff done? Right in your community, and what we found in that is by mapping that within a local community, these communities like Kinston, North Carolina, mm-hmm. and 
and Davie County, which are uh, rural communities, very different, have uh, you know different uh, backgrounds and and populations and and things like that. That actually the traditional leaders in those communities, the head of the chamber of mm-hmm. commerce, the you know the chair of the hospital board, and things like that, the people who are holding up you know the paper checks or or what have you were not actually the people who were going to lead. Right. But by asking those questions, mm-hmm. they identified and invited those types of people. They found that, hey, you know what? It looks like the pastor at this church who also ends up running an after-school program, right. everybody trusts that guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it looks like this leader, right? The, the, the community programmer, you know, uh, she... I, you know, everybody wants to work with her. Right. And by right. engaging those mm-hmm. people in that next level and inviting them to take that leadership role in whatever that change was going to be, they actually set themselves up for long-term, you know, systemic impact mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a meaningful way. And that was total, that was a totally different approach right. Right. than uh, what the system was set up for, which was, hey, we'd like, to, we'd like you to write a grant application. Right, right. Right, which right. is how it is traditionally yeah. worked. Right, and which is slow, cumbersome, doesn't build or foster partnership, and is definitely not about relationships. That's exactly right. right. I, I, it, it is a traditional structure, which I, you know, I, I believe like there's, and, and as, you know, there are smart uh, folks and there are good ways. I have nothing wrong, like there's mm-hmm. nothing necessarily wrong with, you know, foundation or corporate grants or what have you. We all have but, to do it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think, I think, you know, but as a business model and as approach, but is it designed to get the outcome that you want? Right. Uh, not, not always. If your, if your issue is systemic, you know, ongoing, ongoing and owned, mm-hmm. right, locally owned, right. Uh, change. So let's let's follow up just a little bit on that because one of the things that you said there I think is absolutely key. So you've done that this great work. You've you've connected all of these these entities, these various dots, so to speak, and you you have them now engaged. So I've seen a number of endeavors over the years get that mm. far, right? You know exactly where yeah. I'm going with this. So sure. how how do you keep the engagement long enough and with sustainability in mind to truly, truly make transformative change. We're talking about culture shift here, and that does not happen overnight, no matter how great an immediate test score might be or how splashy in your local newspaper the buzz might be. The reality is three, five, seven years, 10 years down the road is really how long it's going to take to 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 take uh, multiple siloed systems yep. and change them? So, how do you go from this awesome flurry of engagement to now I'm staying connected? Because I think that's the bridge ultimately that that you've then you know catalyzed from there. Yeah. So it it, it was a real. Uh, so it's. N- it's always a struggle to mm-hmm. talk about transformation and to and engage, and it goes through cycles, of course. But one of the things that we uh, realized and we did uh, was was that that traditional grant. Uh, so we found these, you know, next stage of leaders, mm-hmm. and we could have written an RFP and said we would like to fund something that looks exactly like, you know, a you know, mm-hmm. a flurry of X's, right. right? A flurry of those different 
initiatives. Um, but we didn't think that would sustain past. I mean, one of the challenges with, you know, uh, that, that people talk about with grant funding, uh, and I don't mm-hmm. think I'm, you know, saying anything wildly new, but when the money runs out, the people go away, yep, always. you know, the results are ex post facto and, mm-hmm. and it's, you, you know, this is a challenge that's outlined. So we took what was a relatively, a very new idea at the time um, and approached this in uh, what we refer to as a venture philanthropy mm-hmm. approach and said, you know, we, we are uh, interested in supporting uh, an initiative that is yours. Uh, and we will help you go through a design process to help you uh, support and drive something in your community that you as as emerging leaders want to have happen in your community. Right. That right. want to own. And to be very clear, we will not be here forever. Right. This up front. Is not a grant program. Yeah. 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 Up front. So we were yeah. wildly, you know, straightforward to yeah. say like, this is not a grant program. We are not going to like, you're not going to come back for more later or what have you. So it, it really, you have to build mm-hmm. in that sustainability, that model. I'd like you as educators or foundation members or others uh, to, to engage in this. You know, yes, right. this feels like an entrepreneurial endeavor. For the business leaders, I want you to think about this as a foundational shift to how you engage with your community. And um, let's go through this design process and see what happens. Right. 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 And we and, and we basically said, and there was a lot of hand holding, there was a lot of hand wringing around <laughs> the fact that, you know, hey, what so what do you want exactly? Right, right, and, right. You know, and we said, I don't know, what do you want? Right. right? Like what do you want this to be? <laughs> and what that turned into in uh I mentioned Davy and Kinston. Davy is a uh, Davy County yeah. outside of Winston Salem, mm-hmm. um, traditionally rural area has grown significantly, had some good local support. Um, uh, but bedroom community, uh, one high school, mm-hmm. y- you know, was, um, uh, had had for years political challenges. Uh, I think anywhere in the country that is trying, that is considering uh, and at that spot that they're going from a single high school to potentially having multiple high mm-hmm. schools mm-hmm. Um, can uh, appreciate, appreciate, you know, that the, the fact that there would be two football teams and right, and other right. things has a huge impact on the community and has been a, a real political challenge. Um, in that community, they really wanted to go after like, what would this look like? What do we need? And how do we use infused STEM? And they, they mm-hmm. actually were passing. Uh, they were going to build their second high school. And what they wanted to support was this idea is how do we get architects, other, our community around the idea that this is not a second high school that was built in the 50s. How do we build this high school and get the community around the idea that, you know, this is a high school for the future? Right. And this is what they, uh, and, and, and in that case, we went through design charrettes and we brought, you know, they wanted to bring in, we brought in international architects and, you know, the, that, that high school uh, ultimately was built. Uh, you know, without lockers and mm-hmm, with, mm-hmm. you know, STEM studios and mm-hmm. areas that look much more modern in a place uh, that, that, haven't ha- uh, that hasn't had that opportunity and that the community owns and grows, it looked totally different in Kinston. 
right. to talk about that, but yeah. Yeah. it was it was that type of approach. Yeah, and so and that's that's a whole nother episode that uh, we've got on her, our horizon, which is all around you know let's rethink the whole idea of high school, right? And the, yeah. as you know, that's one of one of my favorite soapboxes. So so sure. we won't go there, but the reality is that you're talking about. Um, in this case, the community endeavored and actually was able to accomplish the building of something that is more akin to, um, you know, a startup entrepreneur innovation lab type of approach, right? Um, yeah. And then stuck a label on it and said, we're going to call this a high school, but everything that happens here is intended to be very different. And I think, and that's part of it, it's that intentionality. And so um, that same intentionality across the whole scope and spectrum of what's happened in North Carolina sort of led to um, so the, the creation of something else yet new again. And so tell us about Learn Platform, Carl, and why it matters. Yeah. So. We learned so much through this process and trying to think about uh, with the STEM work um, and working with good folks like Patel um, and the Ohio STEM Learning Network, uh, folks like PASS and uh, Metro, uh, the, the uh, work that was going on in Davie and, and others. And the real question for a lot of um, folks was, was, you know, does this stuff work? Right. Like, right. does it? Does it help kids learn? How how do we actually know it's the right choice? Right. Yeah. And um and which of these? So we had collected. I mean, we have you know lists and yeah. data on you know all these different interventions. Right. Right. In STEM education, and people. The next question, which was logical, right, was you know which one do we choose? Right. Hey, uh, you know, in Kinston or Davie, or mm-hmm. like, what's the best for us? And we started to understand. And think about, you know, when we looked at, like, how do you decide that? Right. Uh, and right now, uh, and at the time, there was really very little data. There was really very... So as, a, as somebody who's worked with educators and foundations and all these people and advised on policy and all sorts of stuff, they would say, what do you think of X? Right? That X? That X came back. If, if, <laughs> if, 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 if I asked the superintendent, in most cases, they would say, um, you know, my teachers aren't revolting, so right. I guess it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some data, but if I really dig into it, like I'm not sure. Right. Um, right. Or we have these anecdotes. Mm-hmm. Alternatively, you know, a three year randomized control trial that is functionally out of date before it's even printed. Right. Because that software or ed tech mm-hmm. tool or intervention right. has gone through so many iterations already. Right. That it's not even the same thing that it was. Right. You, you know, when, right. uh, when it started. And so we started to go after this idea of like, how, what can we think about? How do we approach and help schools, districts, and their communities figure out what's actually working? And we saw a great analog in clinical trials. Right, right. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we don't stick, uh, we don't drop medicine into a bunch of, middle of a bunch of sick people and say, if it doesn't work, we'll fix it next quarter. Right. That's, that's basically how software and ed tech is built or, or these other things. And and um, it's, and it's also in many ways how how um, education has um, has managed to find its way there not not by intent yeah. or by design but in many cases that's exactly what's happened right yeah yeah well and it, because uh, and not for any you know fault of Correct. the system right but you know to respect academic freedom and to make right. sure that people are making their own choices et cetera but 
there are all these pilots and evaluations right. going on all the time. When I when I taught or when you mm-hmm. you know our teachers mm-hmm. are testing things, they're making decisions for the next period right. based on what happened in first period, right? right? And so, what if we could capture that those insights go off into the ether, mm-hmm. right? When teachers are on a pilot, when I was a school administrator, I knew teachers that I would say, "Hey, you test this thing out and see what you think, and if you like it." Say something uh, at a staff meeting. If you don't, like, okay, well, we we won't play ball. Um, but that insight sort of goes away, right? Into the ether. Mm-hmm. We, uh, you know, uh, we're focused on doing the thing. So we we launched something uh, called uh, after about a year of due diligence, talking with, as you can tell, like I like to talk to a lot of people before, mm-hmm. you know, to figure out uh, and trying to find somewhere else that this was happening. Right. It wasn't. So we launched uh, in 2014. It's called Learn Trials. The mm-hmm. idea was, you know, to the clinical trials for education technology to right. help schools, districts, and their partners do these phased, staged evaluations. So streamline the structure, you know, and provide a little more structure behind the pilots that were already going on, but start to uh, do sort of phase two and phase three and more. Uh, you know, rapid cycle evaluation. Right. You know, what we found was so interesting. It turns out when, if you set out to figure out, you know, if you want to know what you're using that works, turns out you need to know what you're using. Exactly. Back to that asset map we started with. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because the asset map not only includes what's going on in your community, but darn it, what's happening in your school. Already. Right? Yes, and, right, and, right. And we have... So we we actually expanded very quickly to what is now Learn Platform. It is an ed tech management and rapid cycle evaluation system. It's used by school districts, educators, and their partners to organize mm-hmm. all the stuff to streamline processes like inventorying, uh, right. like uh, procurement, like contract management. And then we're a research-based organization. Our research and analytics team is created. Uh, a lot of our stuff is free, but we also do paid services. But we have a rapid cycle evaluation technology that's called Impact. That is essentially our system does the equivalent of a third party evaluation in a matter of minutes instead mm-hmm. of months. Right, right. So it equips those districts to figure out, you know, hey, what are we using? Um, what are we paying for? Right. When right. we pay for it, do we use it? Right. And in which situations is it having the best impact? Right. And having that information quickly enough allows districts to make decisions about, you know, what they should be doing more of or whether those are instructional decisions or right. operational or budget right. decisions. You know, that's that's where we've come now and and that has been, you know, it, it's 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 been a wild ride. It's super useful information and uh, we're really excited about what's going on there. And so what's what's the so the the next natural iteration and of course you know having having been in that space and in that space with you Carl you know um I I think that one of the next concerns or needs really I guess is what it is is school folks often have not lived inside of data 
truly sure. lived inside of data in the same way that business and industry. Back to your case studies point. And this is one of the reasons why I think this clinical trials and case studies approach is so critically important to help, again, shifting the siloing yep. of these in, in independent ecosystems into a larger, broader, cooperative ecosystem. But we, we don't do a very good job of helping our local school and community leaders understand data, the power of data, and how yeah. that tool, data itself, right, becomes part of our transformative lead. And so what 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 are you going to do with that? I mean, that's that's a big lift, right? Part of that yeah. is administrative prep broadly, but it's also experience. And so, you know, my interaction with Learn Platform, you can't help but learn how to get better at data by using that tool. Yeah, I think that... Uh, so we... If there's one thing we've learned over the last four years, it's that this is, this is about building capacity. Absolutely. Right, within organizations. Yeah. The, um, you know, while we set off and are deeply committed to a mission of expanding equitable access, mm -hmm. the way we do that is by supporting districts uh, and administrative leaders and educators to engage and understand the information and data they have and to translate that into decision-making exactly. that has impact for kids today. And exactly. I can give you a couple examples. You know, we had uh, one of our districts, uh, uh, not one of our, a district using uh, our system was looking at their math intervention. Right. They wanted to understand what's going on. And over the holidays, they had one of their uh, sort of gung-ho folks who's really excited about uh, the work and data um, started to analyze uh, their math intervention usage, uh, with, along with first semester achievement data, our system, they ran a set of analyses quite quickly. They found they were having an outsized positive effect uh, for uh, their English language learners. Hmm. Fantastic result. You know, good to know. Uh, they would have never been able to find this out because their insize was not something right, that, right. you know, a third-party analysis would have, it would have been two years before anybody looked at it. They also found that they weren't having quite the same impact for their highest achieving students with this particular intervention. And they sliced it a bunch of different ways and they started looking at it. And so uh, as they came back for the second semester, they, um, they, they shared this information with the curriculum instruction folks. They shared it with the technology folks. Mm -hmm. They talked a little bit to their Title I folks. And they decided collectively, hey, we're going to shift a little bit of our implementation for the uh, to the students that need you know are getting the best impact, we're going to shift uh, interventions for our highest achieving students as well. We're by the way, CFO is like, well, we don't need as many licenses as we got last year because this is focused so that it starts to impact budget decisions. So, in many ways, and, and and by the way, what I love about this is they were not changing decisions for kids that look like those kids. Right. They were changing decisions for those kids. Exactly. Right? And, exactly. And making decisions for those kids. And the way we see that is by making, you know, that data more accessible, mm -hmm. easy to understand. We do a lot of investment in visualizations. We've provided a lot of this data for free on our, on our site uh, to see what's going on in the market. So we do, uh, you know, infographics and other ways that people can engage and understand what's going on across the market, like our EdTech Top 40. Right, uh, right. This is, you know, we analyzed 5 billion data points last year and found the 40 most accessed tools. 
Mm-hmm. It's a free infographic and it, it's, it's actually meaningful. And that one of the other things we mentioned there is on average, I'll ask you a question. How many ed tech tools do you think most districts access every month? And the districts was more than a thousand students. How many different digital ed tech tools do you think get access? Are you including individual teachers in a classroom? Yeah, so individual uh, teachers and students, mm-hmm. and uh, and this is, you know, so if if one if if a thousand access Khan Academy, uh, or one accesses Khan Academy, Khan Academy counts as mm-hmm. one, right? So that's so I'm gonna I'm gonna launch what I think is gonna be high because I I believe that we're constantly churning, trying to yep. find the. The, the 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 golden key, right? That's going to yeah. help me yeah, do yeah. X, Y, or Z. So I'll say 1,500. 1,500 okay. times. Yeah, so uh, definitely a high number. Uh, there, there are 7,000. We have a, the largest product library mm-hmm. in the country, 7,000 different products. Okay. I think there are definitely districts that are in this situation. Funny thing is when you talk to most ed tech directors or CTOs, mm-hmm. or they'll say, well, we, we pay for about 50 centrally. Right, we we might have fifty to eighty. I know our teachers are probably buying some other stuff, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so maybe a hundred. So the answer is five hundred and forty-eight a month, every month, in every district. Wow! And, so, and and we share this data is like, and so that's something that that's just, just by putting it out yeah, there yeah. to say, hey, what does that mean for student data privacy? What does that mean for like? You know, for accessibility. It means it's just shot to smithereens. That's what it means. And I did filter that before it came out of my mouth. But the thought bubble was going so many different directions. Holy moly. I mean, that that explains a lot, though, doesn't it? It does. And, 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 And not, and this is not, this is not, this is just data, right? This is not a statement of, uh, something's wrong here or something's mm-hmm. wrong there. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is just about, you know, product companies pushing something that doesn't sure, work. Sure, sure. People, I fundamentally believe, and we have, we have actually, uh, we have something, a self-assessment mm-hmm. for school districts called the Personalizing at Scale Framework. Right. We have, uh, we're going through a validity test for this right now. Folks like Chan Zuckerberg and others mm-hmm. are supporting this work. But what we've found is districts go through something very similar to uh, the Tuckman model for mm-hmm. team development, right? right? Forming, storming, norming, yep. and performing. Yep. I know your audience is familiar <laughs> with that. Oh, yes. Right? So what happens with school districts is we found that over the last decade, they start with in a phase called exploring, where they're, where they're just trying stuff out, right? It's the they're shotgun approach. Let me just try right. everything I can get my hands on. Yep. Well, and, and, you know, this is the stage when there's no policies. They're just right. like, hey, we're not going to tell you. It's, it's don't ask, don't tell, right? right? <laughs> um, if yeah. I could be, uh, you know, I guess, incorrect. Um, <laughs> the, the second stage we call the hacking phase. Mm-hmm. And if any district has ever described their ed tech environment as the wild, wild west, mm-hmm. They're in the hacking phase, right? Yeah. Everybody's yeah. trying to do the right thing, but you know, shareable spreadsheets and and you know, you know, it's 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 craziness, right? Mm-hmm. They feel like mm-hmm. they don't know what's going on. They're trying to do the best, but they don't have systems or policies or structures in mm-hmm. place. And then they start to optimize. They go into this optimizing phase. That's when they're looking at 
you know, are we getting the good price? Or we, mm-hmm. we've organized all our stuff now and we start to look at our processes, our oversight, our, our student data privacy. We streamline processes and then they get to personalizing at scale. Right, right. right. Because if you, don't, if you don't even know what you're using, if you don't have processes to make a good thing happen after you learn it, mm-hmm. you know, it's hard to personalize. Right. So they move through this uh, phase and we've been able to start to map like here are the best practices that districts go through when they're in the hacking phase. Right. Here's where you should focus and then and then move forward. Mm-hmm. Super excited about that work, but it it does start with sort of the asset mapping and right. then right. figuring out what your local context needs are. Well, and I think that I would add to that the and and this is a um, a kudos uh, to you and your team is is really recognizing that no matter what the intentions are that the districts are going to go through all of those phases as they sort and solve. So rather than trying to to short circuit a process that is innate and and natural and we it seems paramount that we can't undo it. So let's stop trying and recognize instead that we can help them through the process, the most efficient course possible to get to the outcome they're trying to find. Yeah, it, failure is inevitable. It is. Right? It is and it it's is, beautiful in so many ways. <laughs> the, the, the reality is the type of step change and systemic change that we want, uh, the things we've actually done a bunch of research around uh, utilities and infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the reality is all of those massive inventions that you think about, the light bulb, you know, indoor plumbing, mm-hmm. you know, all these different things are the product of incremental continuous improvement. Exactly. They, That's they a beautiful way to put that. Of those, uh, of, those, of those failures that have led to those mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And so embracing and saying, you know, our commitment is to learn continuously and to adapt is is one of our core values here at the organization and how we engage with, with a lot of times people come and say, so which which ed tech is best? Right. right? right. They, say, they want the short circuit. Like where where's the um could you just point me yeah. to you know the silver bullet? Mm-hmm. And the reality is the answer is like I don't know what your situation is. Correct. Right? You're right. You're you know, let's help you figure out what's best for you. Right. Or for your students or for your student, right? right. For your right set of students like those those are the real challenging questions and so it does take you know incremental improvement mm-hmm. and the idea that there, that this is going to be an overnight you know change but we have seen that that we we see people go through that process consistently they come mm-hmm. in you know they they say like I, I, we don't know what's going on but we you know if i'm honest with you you know it's the wild west mm-hmm. But what we really want to do is I, w- I should be able to evaluate every intervention we're doing and know which of my students uh, should go to which intervention. Right. And I would tell you, absolutely, you should be able to, to do that and you will be, but not tomorrow. Right, right. right. You, right. You, you know, the reality is where you are defines how you're going to get there. And so let's, let's map it. Let's figure it out. And let's go there as quickly as possible. And with technology and research and data and, and a lot of hon- honesty and humility, mm-hmm. we get to go do that. Right. And at the end of the day, you, you, you get to be part of helping these folks um, identify the X's and understand the Y's. So 
Absolutely. It's awesome. Yeah. So it has been a true joy, uh, Carl. Thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your day to have this conversation with us around transformative ecosystems. It's so incredibly important. And um, we truly appreciate the work that you do. Likewise. Thank you so much for... I think I think learning from each other uh, is, is how we do this. And I have loved listening and hearing from the podcast you've been doing so far. Keep it up. Uh, honored to be a part of it. Uh, thank you for that so much. Uh, uh, spread the word. <laughs> Absolutely. Cheers. Thank you, Annalise. Yep. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin. And join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.